0: I hope that you have already enjoyed our time of worship together as we continue worship now in the word. You can take your Bibles and find your way to Philippians. Philippians chapter three is where we'll be at before we begin, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer as a church family. I know that we just pray for our missionaries, but again a Uh, I hope that this isn't obnoxious to us, but um, Christians pray because we desperately need God. We need His intervention in our lives. We need His mercy, His grace, His compassion. Uh, Friends, just showing up and going through motions of religion, and I'm not accusing any of us of doing that, but prayer is is an abrupt reminder that um, we don't have what it takes. None of us do. We don't have what it takes to understand God's Word or obey it. And so uh, we'll pray because we believe that God intends to bless us and to provide what we need because he delights in our coming to him and asking and seeking and knocking. And we can be shameless in that. And so we're going to be shameless in that this morning. So let's bow and pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for loving us. We praise you for the truths we've been able to sing together. Lord, in obedience to your word, of singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in our hearts to one another and to you. Lord, we praise you and give you adoration for giving to us your word. Lord, what a privilege it is to be a people that have your word. Here we have, we can open our Bibles and we can go and read your words. Or we think of Moses with tablets inscribed by your finger with your words, yet we have an entire completed revelation. We have so much more, so much better. So, Father, thank you for your word, that it is perfect and that it can revive our soul. Thank you that it is sure and it can make us who are simple wise. And, Lord, we all confess that we are simple in ways we don't even know. Lord, we thank you that your word is able to give our hearts joy. We need that. Our world is looking for it. We've looked for it. Thank you that your word is a source of joy for us this morning, that your word is pure and it can give our eyes light to see what we should see and how we should see the world around us. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that are more and more convinced that your word is more to be desired than the best riches in the whole world. Father, forgive us for neglecting Your Word. Maybe even this week, our Bibles have remained largely untouched. Our hearts have been cold or callous towards You and disinterested in Your Word. Forgive us. Forgive us for our simpleness, if that is our hearts. We pray that You would have mercy upon us and warm our souls again to the glories that are found in Your Word, the glories of Christ, Lord, thank you for being merciful and slow to anger toward us today. But you are steadfast in your love. Again, we don't deserve it. Thank you for not dealing with us according to our sins or repaying us according to our transgressions. Thank you, Father, for the gift of Christ. He stands between us as our mediator. With the gift of his righteousness applied to us, Lord, you take our sins and you cast them as far as the east is from the west. And we marvel at this. You are God. So encourage our hearts this morning to be reminded that in Christ, our sins are forgiven. That your face shines upon us in a smile because of Christ. And that you, as a Father, show, you show us compassion. You show us compassion because you remember that we are dust. Lord, we need you. This church needs you. Our world needs the hope of Christ. Lord, we pray for the needs in this flock. We think of one particularly as we wait upon you in patient faith for you to lead and direct us to our next lead pastor. We pray for persevering faith in our hearts as a church family, a joy-filled confidence in you who are our good shepherd, that you have not forsaken us, that you are with us and you go before us that you are pleased to give us the kingdom, that you've given us Christ, that you are at work now and in and through this process and this time of waiting and of faith. Lord, you've called your people all through the ages to be a people who wait upon you. And Lord, now it's our turn. So we ask that you would strengthen us with joy, with faith, with obedience, with confidence in you, with gladness in seeing your works of grace being done in each other. And Lord, use us to make a difference in this world as lights of the gospel. So Father, we pray that you would help us to remember that we are your holy ones, and that you've called us to live lives that are marked by compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Lord, these things elude us. We are impatient. We get frustrated. We have sinful anger. We, we fail so often, but yet, Lord, we thank you that in Christ we are forgiven and that you've called us to this. And so strengthen our hearts in obedience this morning, that we would have fresh encouragement to bear with one another, and that we would forgive each other, remembering that you have forgiven us. And Lord, above all these things, we pray that you would help us to put on love, love for one another as church members, love for our unbelieving neighbors and our community, unbelieving co-workers, Lord, the lost in the world around us. May we more and more model um, what we see in Christ when he saw the crowd. He was moved with compassion. Lord, do this in our hearts. We as a church would fulfill our mission of displaying your glory by making disciples of Jesus. Lord, we won't do that if we don't have compassion. So, Father, do this in us. Use our time in the Word this morning. Teach us, encourage us, convict us, transform us more and more. Do not leave us alone in our unrepentance where it is. May your Spirit prick our conscience and may we respond. Lord, it is you who is at work in us for the willing and the doing of your good pleasure. And we trust and confidence that you will do that this morning. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So you should find your way to Philippians chapter 3. We have been unpacking this section of scripture over the last couple of weeks. They're all kind of connected together. And it really is just a kind of a reminder, uh, we've been confronted, maybe that's the better word, of Paul's radical preoccupation with Jesus. And that's what it is. He is just kind of a radical guy, all about Jesus. He considers his greatest achievements in life as disgusting street trash when compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. That's in verses 7 and 8. I mean, that's radical, right? I wonder how awkward and odd this sounds to our modern-day ears. You know, like, for instance, I wonder if you would want, after we've read so far here in Philippians, would you want to invite the Apostle Paul over for dinner? Or would you be a little intimidated like i don't know maybe we need to have somebody else along because this guy may only talk about jesus i mean for paul right he might be a little too spiritual might be a little bit too kind of a jesus freak i mean after all this is the guy that said to live is christ to die is gain because then i get to be with christ in our modern day ears kind of hear that and go well let's pump the brakes because isn't there something more to life than jesus hmm maybe we need this right well, it doesn't seem that way for Paul. It seems that for Paul, Jesus is life. Life begins and ends with Jesus. Life finds its purpose and meaning in Jesus. Life finds its joy and strength. He's in prison because of his relationship with Jesus. I mean, Paul's kind of obnoxious, right? Well, I wonder how our modern mindset still needs to be calibrated by these truths. right? Maybe we're trying to figure out, I mean, this is some of the inclination I could feel in my own heart working through these passages of is there some way I can kind of figure out how to live life according to this American way that we're doing and somehow like fit this Paul, Jesus is everything into into what's going on and kind of have this hybrid kind of life. But as you read through Philippians 3, Paul doesn't really give any room for a hybrid type of American dream, Christ is life type of life. Paul is describing normal Christianity as a single-minded focus that flows out of a relationship with Jesus. That doesn't mean you just sit as a monk, lighting candles, chanting you know, tunes to Jesus. It means that for Paul, whether he, his, his view in prison was because of his relationship in Jesus. His activity as a tent maker flowed out of his relationship with Jesus. His relationships with ministry partners and his, his travel plans flowed out of his relationship with Jesus. It started there and ended there. Now, what was in between was life. I mean, the guy had to make breakfast. He had a You know, pay bills. He had to travel. He had to, you know, navigate modern life in his Greco-Roman society. He had to do all of that, but all of that flowed out of his relationship with Christ. So, this is what drove Paul. Think of it that way, right? American word, right? Drive. What's your drive? It's really kind of an American idea. I think I'm an American. That's all I know. (laughs) What's your drive in life? Well, ask yourself, what is your focus? What drives you? What gets you up in the morning? Everyone has an answer for that. A lot of people, it's family. You get up and you go to work. Why? For family, for your kids, to, to give them this, to do... There's, a, there's some reason in the back of your mind that is the ultimate drive of why you do what you do. And for Paul, according to this text, the answer to that should be to know more fully and be transformed more completely by Jesus. That's what should drive us. So we can summarize this passage in Philippians chapter three with these two words: "Press on, press on." And I will uh, show this to you um, as we read through the text in Philippians chapter three. I guess I didn't give you the verse number, right? Verse twelve. That's where we're at. Verse twelve. So he's just talked about how much he is so in, just enraptured by the surpassing worth of Jesus. And that he's looking forward to knowing Jesus more fully, being transformed by Jesus more completely, which includes knowing Jesus' suffering as well as anticipating the joys of being resurrected to know Jesus eternally. And then verse 12, he says, "...not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do." Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. The big idea here is that repeated phrase, press on. Now, he uses some uh, similar words to convey the same idea here in this passage, right? He talks about pressing on, but then also in verse 13, he talks about straining forward. In verse 14, straining forward towards a goal or towards a prize. And so what Paul is using here are words and imagery from the Olympic Games of his day. I mean, his readers would understand these terms, would identify immediately, and we have the same type of word pictures that we can understand too, an athlete striving and straining towards the goal. If you think of, of, a, of a runner who's striving and straining towards that finish line, that's the imagery that he's drawing from, and he's applying it now to spiritual truths, just like a runner strains toward the finish line, toward that prize, toward the goal of winning, so Christians should strive and strain and press on toward the goal of knowing Jesus. So, this morning, the sermon is this. Press on to know Jesus. Press on. Press on, church family. Press on. Let's do a little personal housekeeping. How would you describe your spiritual walk with Jesus today? Are you moving forward? Are you stagnant? Is it non-existent? Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus. This is something that you talk about. You know Actually, life day-to-day doesn't really show evidence of experiencing a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you'd say your relationship with Jesus is exciting and vibrant and alive. Praise God. But this text is teaching that Christians will and must press on through their entire life to know Christ more and more and be transformed by Him more completely. So wherever you are in the spectrum of relationship with Jesus, maybe you're not a Christian and the whole idea of knowing Jesus is still kind of foreign to you. Maybe you're a newer Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and you've kind of grown cold and it's just like, I feel like it's just the same thing over and over and it's boring and I'm just kind of, you know, my, my heart's being unaffected by it. Wherever you are, this passage is aimed to be a kick in the pants to press on to know Jesus. Press on. So, let's jump into the specifics of this text. For Paul, knowing Jesus was a value and worth that surpassed everything else in life. Okay? Okay? Uh, John explained that last week how Paul, when he talks about knowing, is not talking about just a factual knowledge about Jesus. He's talking about an experiential, deep, meaningful, vibrant, alive relationship. Okay, you all know George about George Washington, or did I pick the wrong guy or a person? Okay, just pick person that's safe for you to pick, and you all know about right some person that lived a long time ago and is you know dead. You read about them in history books, you know about them, but you don't have a relationship with them. There's no vibrance, there's, no, there's nothing alive there, meaningful, deep there. Paul is talking about a live, relational, deep, meaning, meaningful relationship with Jesus. So one of the best illustrations between knowing about and knowing that I've heard goes something like this. You might read about honey. You might have someone describe its texture and its taste to you. You can read that it's sticky and that it's sweet, and you can know that. You might even pass a multiple-choice test about honey. But it's an entirely different thing to actually touch honey and taste honey for yourself. When you taste honey and you feel it stick to your fingers, now you know what honey is. Paul is asking and encouraging and exhorting his readers, press on to know Jesus. So again, some personal housekeeping. How would you describe your relationship with God, with Jesus? Is it primarily just factual, encyclopedic? Maybe you have a lot of knowledge. Or, is your life take greater depth and meaning and purpose because of your relationship with Jesus? It's changing you and affecting you and transforming your worldview and your mindset, leading you to repentance and faith so that more and more the rough edges of, your, of, of who you were before Jesus, is being replaced by this new person who is in Jesus. So, why must we press on to know Christ? Okay, that's, that's what he's saying, but why must we do this, right? Well, he tells us why in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. We need to press on to know Christ because none of us have arrived at a full knowledge of Jesus. We all need work. We all have a lot of God, we have a lot of work to do, God has a lot of of work to do in us as his people, but he's doing that. And so what Paul is doing here, I think, in in verse 12, when he says, not that I've obtained this and we're already perfect, the word perfect has the sense of completeness, and Paul is admitting that even though he esteems Jesus this way, surpassing worth, everything else is burning street trash, he still has not arrived in full, complete knowledge and enjoyment of Jesus like he longs for. That day will come when Jesus returns and we are made entirely new, glorified is the word in the scriptures. We are glorified to to see Jesus face to face, no longer distracted and plagued by our sinful nature, and we are now fully able to enjoy Jesus forever for all eternity. But there's an already but not yet gap that we're in the middle of here. And he's like, I haven't obtained this. And it's probable that Paul is saying this because there might have been some in the Philippian church that we're promoting the idea of they've arrived. They have achieved spiritual maturity. They've got this. They're good. And Paul is using himself as an example saying, no, that's not true. We touched on this error uh, uh, last week in our adult um, elective time when we discussed the dangers of higher life theology, this idea of just let go and let God and you'll kind of be catapulted into this second tier of Christianity where you just kind of now suddenly are this mature you know, believer, no longer troubled by the former things that, 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 that plagued you as a sinner. And Paul is saying, listen, he's a, Paul's a mature Christian here and he admits he has not obtained it. And so what does he do? He presses on. So Christians, notice at the end of verse 12, He gives the grounds or the reason why he presses on. He admits he's got, Jesus has got more work to do in him. He wants to know Jesus more fully, but he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, and here's the reason why. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That is such a marvelous statement of Scripture. I press on to make it, to make the knowledge and knowing and experience of Jesus my own. Because Jesus has made me his own. This is a very important statement because it gives us the causation of his pressing on, his motivation to press on. It is not a pharisaical motivation. That's what he would have had earlier, right? I mean, he talked about his pedigree. He was a Pharisee. He was blameless. Those are the guys that stood next to the publicans. Remember Jesus gave that example? God, I thank you. I'm not like, dude, this loser over here. I do this, I do this, I do this. That was Paul. He had that same kind of... That was the pharisaical type of spirit. He is not pressing on to Jesus in that way. No, he's pressing on to Jesus because he is fully assured that Jesus has made him his own. God's actions towards him are what caused him to reach out and say, I want to make Jesus my own. This is very important. This is the great Bible doctrine of election. Now, before you object and get offended, I want to assure you that this is a wonderful Bible truth that is meant to put wings on your pursuit of Christ. It is meant to fill your sails to pursue God. And here's how it works. Now, let me caution. Any understanding of election, of God choosing to set his affections upon us and claim us in love without any of our previous works not merited upon any of what we have done, it's entirely his free choice. For, for any understanding of that, that takes away from our personal responsibility before God is out of balance. And that's the danger as we think through it. Our minds are trying to figure out this, this combination. But notice how Paul is talking about how he describes his life here, pursuing Jesus in, in 12 and following. I mean, it's full of language of his effort. I'm straining, I'm pressing, I'm reaching for this goal, I'm going for this prize. This is not passive. The election of God in our lives does not create passive Christians when properly understood. It will not. It will motivate obedient, joyfully obedient Christians. That's what he's saying here. His joyful obedience to press on to know Jesus is caused, is motivated because God's electing love has been poured out to him in Christ, not the other way around. So we talked about this last week in the elective. Now some of you are wishing you were there, right? Um, that the, the, one of the most helpful phrases is this, the Christian gospel is not against effort. It is against earning. Paul is not earning his closeness to Jesus, He is motivated to pursue Jesus, to to pursue knowing God better, because God has chosen him. So, Paul admits that this is what gives him encouragement and strength. And by the way, the Bible is full of this kind of glorious language. Here's a quick sampling, okay, just a real quick sampling. 2 Corinthians 4.4 describes, in their case... Unbelievers, the God of this world, which by the way was all of us at one point, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. I think I have this on screen. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's blindness. But then, verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How are we, how is a sinner ever delivered from the blindness of not being able to see God? God speaks, He shines the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ into sin darkened hearts. Why? Because that is the kind of God we have. He delights to save sinners. Or first John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. Powerful statement again. Or John six forty four. No one can come to me, Jesus is saying, unless the Father who sent me who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what does all this mean? Well, what are you going to do with this truth, right? With your own relationship with God and our shared relationship as a church family. Well, notice Paul's single-minded, laser-focused language in verse 13. He does not consider that he has made it. I do not consider that I have made it my own, right? He's still pursuing Jesus. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Again, he's speaking in radical language. One thing I do. So according to Paul, pressing, part of pressing on to know Christ means that we don't live in the past or on the past. I don't know if that's helpful. I'm going to explain what I mean here, but I was trying to unpack what, what Paul might be getting at here. There's two possibilities about what Paul is meaning here, about forgetting what lies behind. Don't live in the past or on the past. Now, forgetting what lies behind could be him recalling the memories and regrets of how he had previously persecuted the Christian church with such vehemence, with such animosity. I mean, Paul was pursuing Christians. He was like, the, like, like a Gestapo type of just running after them, trying to imprison them and, and eradicate those that followed this Jesus and it might have been that he was, could have been haunted if he thought back and lived in, you know, just haunted by the memory of that and the regret of that. And it could have paralyzed him from saying, well, God, God can never use me moving forward. I, I'm a hopeless case. It could be that. He doesn't live in the haunting memory of that, in the paralyzing, painful regret of that. No, he presses on to move Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made him his own. Right? Now, Ask yourself, if that's, if that's what Paul is referring to, it's possible. There's good contextual support there. If that's what's possible, then the takeaways for us would be this. What in your life makes you feel like you can't ever really enjoy knowing Jesus? What regrets do you have? What things haunt you in the darkness of the quiet moments that you wish you could undo? Maybe things that you haven't done. Maybe things that have happened to you in an evil world that make you feel like There's no hope. There's God's going to look right past me. Friends, that's not true. There is nothing in this life that you can do or that can happen to you that would make you off limits or out of reach of the invitation to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to press on in knowing and enjoying Him more and more. Nothing. God saved Saul, turned him to Paul. And so Paul presses on. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Or maybe Paul had in mind, not regrets, but ministry successes. I mean, Paul really had an impressive list of ministry accomplishments. Churches started, traveled around, preached. I mean, he preached to mobs and riots. People were coming to faith in Christ. Leaders were being trained up. Elders were being installed in churches around these frontier ministries. He'd come back and report to the church in Jerusalem. He was taking the gospel into the Gentiles. I mean, this was tip of the spear, frontier ministry stuff, and God was giving him success, and it was hard-won success, yes. But maybe he could have thought, well, man, look at what I've done. Look at all I've accomplished. Maybe I can kind of kick up my heels and cool it for a little while. Coast. You know, I press down to know Jesus, and it's hurt. It's cost. I'm in prison right now. Well. No. Are you coasting? Are you living presently based upon past spiritual accomplishments and experiences? Fooling yourself into a sense of, oh, okay, spiritually I'm good because you just kind of recall some works of God in the past, some faithfulness that he wrought in your life and you're just coasting now maybe, living on the memory of that, appeasing your conscience with that. Excusing your lack of obedience before God with that. That's true. The text is calling you to do this. Press on. Press on. So, what does he press on towards? Verse 14. He presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And every Christian has that call. Now, Paul probably was thinking about the call he received, which was pretty dramatic. He's on a path, on a road traveling to Damascus. Jesus confronts him, right? I mean, bright light sends him to his knees. He goes blind. Jesus talks to him, tells him what to do. Paul says, okay, Lord. I mean, Paul goes from persecuting Jesus to calling Jesus Lord. But every Christian has this call. Now, you probably haven't had that experience, but it doesn't mean it's any less a call of God. God called a sinner to himself. That's a miracle, just like it was for Paul. Every Christian has this call of being called out of a treasonous, sinful self-rule and into the joy of Jesus as Lord and ruler. And we hear about it in Colossians 1. Paul describes it this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. That's the call that we have received. That's why there's this upward call of knowing God, of knowing Jesus. We were down in this cesspool of sin, this darkness. We've been called up into this this domain of light, of knowing Jesus, God. So friends, if Christ has made you his own, then press on to make him your own. Peter writes it this way. He says, Take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. Boy, that, that's a risk we all face as Christians in this modern age, right? So what are we to do to find Stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's like Paul and Peter had a chat. Paul is saying, press on. And Peter's writing to his Christians saying, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's the same message. Christians are people who grow, who press, who strain, who strive to reach the goal and the prize of knowing Jesus more fully. So, how, how can we do this? How can we know Christ? So I'm going to finish today with some practical considerations. What might it look like to do this? Now, some of you are already kind of like braced for, here comes the list of spiritual disciplines. And your soul is about to die a little bit inside of you because your Bible reading chart is just this like monster of how terrible of a Christian you are with all those unchecked boxes, right? Hang in there, okay? Now I'm going to talk about Bible reading, so I'm, right, it's coming, so you're prepared. But before we get to that practical Let's just remember this, where Paul started. Remember. There needs to be a mindset shift in us. Paul's talking about a mindset. Remember and celebrate the fact that Jesus has made you his own. So, this radically changes our approach to spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and praying and attending church and encouraging other Christians and serving in our local church and. And, and, you know, being preoccupied with the growth of faith of other Christians and, right, living the normal Christian life. Doing the one another's in the scripture, forgiving each other, bearing long with one another, suffering long with one another. um, All those one another's that, that we are familiar with, at least in part, right? That can just become this long laundry list of, like, spiritual obligation that just wears you out. But if there's this mindset shift that Paul talks about, remember that Christ Jesus has made you his own, Well that fundamentally changes can change or should change our orientation. I mean, we this works in relationships, right? When somebody looks at you and says, I choose you, I love you, right? Our world would say you've fallen in love. They've fallen in love with you, okay? But love is a choice. When somebody says, I choose you, I love you. Right in that relationship, let's talk about a, a husband and wife, or a man and a woman. And there's the man falls in love with a woman, and he says, "I choose you. I love you. I want to marry you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you." You would think that if it's a healthy relationship, okay, I understand, it's not a loser, and she's she, she's like favorable to this, that there would be a response of of love in return of yes. Everybody wants to be wanted. Here's here's the reality. Jesus wants you. He's invited you into relationship with him. So that can fundamentally change, mindset shift fundamentally changes in how we open up our scriptures. All right, oh, I've got to do this. I'm a good Christian. You know, check it off. You know, eat an apple a day, keep the doctor away, read a verse a day, keep the devil away. Friends, there's something so much richer to understand that the creator of the universe loves you and wants to know you and wants you to know him and you discover who he is in the scriptures. So that fundamentally changes then our orientation to pressing on in these practical ways. So I want to make certain that we have that understanding. Don't gloss over. Just before you read your Bible, just spend a few quiet moments just just celebrating the fact that, man, you are such a loser and a failure and a sinner, and you proved it over and over again last week, and Jesus still is steadfast in love to you. He's made you his own and no one will pluck you out of his hand. No one's going to change that. Nothing. I mean read Romans 8, nothing. And he says, "I want you. I want you to know me." So now we can understand why the psalmist could say his heart just yearns for God like a like like an animal who's thirsty. So, how can we press on to know Christ? Remember that. Number 2, don't live haunted by past regrets or past or or um, inflated by past uh, successes. All right. Again, mindset shifts. Let the regrets of life be covered. That fact that Christ has chosen you, and let the successes that God has granted you be reminded that the reason that's true is because Christ has chosen you. Now, very practically, let's think of it this way. How can you press on this week? Okay. Ground zero. Sometime this week, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Jesus is called the living Word. The living Word. The, the, the connection between the Bible and Jesus is so close that they're like called the same thing. Now, they're not. Jesus is not paper and ink, okay? But, but the relationship there in the Scripture is that they are inseparably connected. They're, to, to read the Word of God is to actually experience the Word of God, Jesus, John 1. So friends, if I can just encourage you, read your Bible sometime this week. Do that. Well, some of you are already doing that. Praise God. Press on. Sometime this week, read something, right? If you, read something that will stir and enrich your spiritual awareness of God. We, ha- we live in an information age. We are inundated with information. I would encourage us as a church family, if we're going to press on, it means that we need to probably set aside some of the information that we've been giving our attention to, time, energy. And, and we may not just have margin to, to press on to know Jesus because we've filled up our lives with all this other information. Whether, and it could be fine things, not, not evil things, news reports or stock reports or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, you're like, man, I'm just so worn out, right? I don't have time for that. So I'm asking you to please make some different choices Leave some margin so you can read something spiritually enriching. Why? To press on to know Christ. Why? Because he's made you his own. He's made you his own. Um, We live in a world that emphasizes the secular and diminishes any idea of the spiritual. It's trying to remove any sense of the transcendent. And so we as Christians are going to have to really work hard and push back against that prevailing wind of our age. That everything can be explained rationally, logically, secularly. That's wrong. Friends, we should have moments of awe in our lives and worship before God through the week privately so that as we gather together, we share now in in an experience of, of awe, of worshiping a great God. So think of this work at home during the week of pressing on to know Jesus as like homework to get you ready for... The Kind of the climax the, 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 uh, of what we're doing together as Christians when we gather on a Sunday of worshiping together, of knowing Jesus, of pressing on. That's what we're doing here this morning. We're, we're encouraging each other to press on. Here's another practical consideration. Attend church with the spirit and eagerness of a learner, of, a, of somebody who is actively engaged, not a religious observer. Yeah, I understand we can come in tired and all that, but in church family, I want to commend you this morning. Uh, I, you're saying, well, I'm going to just try to keep encouraging you in that. But come on a Sunday morning, not as a religious observer, sliding in, sitting, consuming, leaving. That is not normal Christianity. Come in with a sense of God's people are gathered. We're, going to, we're, we're gathering in the name of Jesus. We've got truths that transcend all of the secular things that are in this world, the truths that are the only hope for the world. And we get to celebrate that Jesus has made us his own. Come in as an active participant, not as a religious observer. Another way that you can uh, press on to make Jesus your own is invite someone else to do it with you. Right? I mean, have you ever done that you want to work out you want to get healthier so you just try to do it on your own but man, if you know no somebody's going to be standing outside waiting for you, or at the gym waiting for you? All right, and you get yourself up and you go. Why? Because they're there. So invite someone into pressing on to know Jesus with you. That's ordinary Christianity. You read through Acts and it's happening all the time. So here's a question to conclude with. What is one thing you can do to press on to know Christ this week that you haven't done or aren't doing yet? One thing. One some of you have made a whole list and you're going to be like, you know, going crazy. whoops, slap. One thing. What is one thing you can do? One mindset, one behavior? Maybe it's this. This may seem a little awkward, but what is one sin that you know you need to repent of that will help you press on because that sin is holding you back? Maybe you need to cancel Netflix or deactivate a social media account because when you look at how much screen time you're spending on that, it's not an issue if you don't have time. It's just that you're spending all that time on other things. Or maybe you need to get rid of the Internet for a time altogether because you're habitually consuming pornography and it's killing your spiritual vitality of wanting to know Jesus at all. Maybe you need to put healthy boundaries around your work because career has filled up all of your margin and so you have no energy left during a week to know Jesus at all. Friends, you can apply it. The Spirit of God can apply this. I've just tried to jumpstart some of this. And now I want, you to understand, I want you to think of this. I'll ask the, uh, actually, I'm not asking the music team to come up. We're doing communion next. Um, I just want us to imagine this. Um, well, I'll, 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 okay. I have an illustration here at the end. I was worried we were out of time, but let's do this. I think it'll be helpful. In 2016, in the Rio Olympics... Mo Farah of Britain took his position to get set to, win the, to, to run the 10,000 meter race. He had won the gold in the previous Olympics for the 5,000 and 10,000 in 2012, so all eyes were on this guy, Great Britain. Uh, 10,000 meter race is 25 laps. Uh, the race began. The runners quickly form into their rhythm. They motor their way around the track. 25 laps to go. On the 10th lap, Mo accidentally makes contact with his friend and training partner, Galen Rupp. Mo falls to the ground in the middle of this gold medal race. Okay? He scrambles up, springs back into the action with a look of focused determination. He's got 15 laps to catch up and try to win. With laser focus, an enormous effort, Mo Farah regains his position with a strong finishing kick, wins gold for Great Britain. The guy who fell down in the race. So, none of us are Mo Farah spiritually, okay? <laughs> Maybe you've fallen down. Maybe you have. Or maybe you're motoring around the track. Either way, here's the call for us as a church family. Press on. Friends, we've all been pressing on for something last week, last month, last year. Philippians 3 is asking us to press on to know Christ. So can you imagine a church, if mo- what, what Highlands Baptist Church? Now, it's happening here, okay? But just imagine What Highlands Baptist Church might become more and more of if more and more of us were pressing on with single-minded radical focus described in this passage of knowing Jesus. Just imagine. Imagine the effect it might have in your life of sin repented of, of faith experience, of joyful obedience, of how we might have conversations with people we haven't had yet to encourage them to press on. Just imagine that would spread. Can you imagine the power of our witness when unbelievers walk in and more and more of us, through the grace of God, are pressing on to know Christ, straining forward for the prize of the goal of the high calling of Christ? Just imagine the witness when they would hear us sing, when they would see us interact, when they would watch us serve. Just imagine how compelling it would be where Jesus says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. Where does that love come from? We love because He first loved us.